Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live every week on Thursday nights at, on Facebook or on YouTube. So if you're there watching us live, go say hi in the chat. Uh, we'll, we will be watching, so say hi now. And if you're watching it later, even better, um, you can watch us anytime through YouTube or your favorite podcast app. So, let's see. As for introductions, you know who I am. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957, in Fairfax, Virginia. And next up for his introduction is the one, the only, Joe Martinez. Hello and good evening. Woo. Hello and good evening, Joe Martinez. I missed the show last week. I think that was the first show I missed, so I'm like totally in detox mode with TMR. Um, Joe yes. Martinez, there was my name. Uh, Pisces, Pisces Aries cusp. Um, so a little bit weird. And uh, let's see, this week I am still the master of Manassas Lodge, number 182, Manassas, Virginia, uh, member of many other things, and super jazzed to be here tonight. We need to get to... Uh Jamie Paul Lamb on and talk about our you know ascendance and it's been a while yeah it's been a while we should be yeah. and just have him just like totally nerd out on us that would be fun and we just sit there quiet like this just, mm, just soak it in yes mm-hmm. all right uh let's see next up for his introduction Jason Richards hello and good evening Jason Hello and good evening. Jason Richards here, past master of Acacia Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 in Washington, D.C., and member of Lafayette number 79 in Zanesville, Ohio. Excellent. Glad to have you. And uh, Robert will be here shortly. And so without further ado, I want to introduce our special guest host for tonight, which is Brother... Chad Kapensky, how are you? Uh, why don't you give your own um, Masonic introduction? Uh, sure. So, my name is Chad Kapensky. I'm past master of Paramuthi number 25 in Athens, Ohio. Um, past district deputy, past uh, district education officer of the um, Masonic District, immediate past chair of the Grand Lodge Education Committee uh, in Ohio, and um, currently the president of the Midwest Conference on Masonic Education, although I represent none of those people tonight. So just think of me as somebody who really loves furry woodland creatures and is kind to them whenever I see them, and uh, somebody who really uh, likes applause. And we'll just kind of go from there. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. We're going to leave that, that square dark over there until Robert decides to join us. So, um, over that wise. It's like draping the charter. <laughs> yes. You're portraying the charter for Robert. Uh, before we get into tonight's topic, we want to um, give a special shout out I'll to all the back. patrons. The patrons are what makes the show. You guys are awesome, and uh, we love having you join us in our little secret chat room, uh, Facebook group, and nerd out about other sorts of Masonic and not Masonic related content. I mean, it's been pretty cool because not only do we have a little community in there that talks about you know masonry stuff and advice there. Sometimes we'll just hey hey brothers uh, do you, does anybody know you know someone who's a notary or anything like weird like that it's also good to just to have a little small community of people that can uh, chat with and 
get get some quick answers to. So if uh, you like, it's a lot of TMR, fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. So if you, if you almost, like TMR, I'm in there almost every day. Yep. First place I go to when I'm looking for a notary or a plumber <laughs> is is the um, the Knights and Squires group. Is that particular site? Yeah, yes. that's where I go. That sounds about that's right. where I go. And if you want to find a Masonic plumber, head it over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable <laughs> and um, throw, throw a few bucks in. That'll keep the show running for many years to come. So thank you. Okay, so tonight's episode, a little bit of backstory here. This is a lot, a lot of fun because uh, Chad and I, you know, I don't know if we met in person, virtually. We're trying to figure that out as we were getting ready for uh, the show. I mean, you You've been right. around. I've been around. Um, right. But Where did, we, did you we go recently, to Camp Masonry? I did not. Oh, did I, I know. That was back in that's where I met you for the first time. It, was it right. We were trying to figure that out. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jason, for whatever reason, that's where I allegedly met you for the second time. <laughs> did did is that true? Let's find that out right now. Did I have done some research, Mr. Richards? And I owe oh, you an absolute apology because the first time you met me was a camp masonry. The person I thought I where I thought I met you the years previously and I'd given you grief about that. Didn't different happen. gentlemen of the same name. So Maya Culpa. Jason Maya Van Dyke. Culpa, Maximo Culpa. Uh, What's it Jason Van Dyke? No. Okay. Your brother. I don't know guy named Jason Bridges. Maybe somebody who's like stole your identity. You ever thought about this? Yes. Yeah. Are you check, maybe check your credit card? It's probably Brad. Maybe, maybe it's Brad. So I got re-engaged anyway, again. Something Bre- that Brad would do. So brother Chad and I got spun up again recently where when Robert, who's we're waiting for him to uh, hop in here, uh, threw out a little uh, poke at method actors um, in, in in Facebook and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're starting uh, we're starting to drop some shade back at him and, and so uh, brother Chad and I start like, wait a minute, I didn't know like you're an actor and this and that. And we started like hitting up and we're like, this would be a great topic to talk about on TMR. So here we are, uh, bringing acting into the Masonic experience. So I guess I'll start things off with uh, basically not- notifying you that if, you, if you're not familiar with the Masonic degree system, we do have at least three degrees in your traditional blue lodge that kind of the way you enter into freemasonry and at some parts of the that experience there is a drama that unfolds which does require you know at least basic acting abilities and so we wanted to maybe basic i've seen some really basic degrees done as well but there's a lot of drama about. in masonry, though. Yes, we're not talking about right. not personality in the degrees. Not talking about like the dinner before. Right. Yeah. Yes. So many things I could say right now, but yes. I'm not going to. Drama. So much drama. We're not that kind. No. So much drama. Take that high road, there, Joe. Take that high road. Right. Yeah, but now I got gin and juice in my head. Hey, hey there, Robert. Good seeing you. Robert. Awesome. We, we were we were just uh, waxing poetic about how you decided to to hate on method actors, and that's how Chad and I got spun up and said we need to we need to uh, have a whole show dedicated of throwing shade at Robert. So, oh wait, yeah. prolific actors said method acting is bologna sausage. Sure, 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 sure. Well, we'll get into that. What that really means. I think they use some other terms for that. Bologna sausage. Yes, this is a, this is a G-rated show. PG maybe. So uh, let's talk about 
um, method acting. So where Chad and I kind of got engaged on, on that is that there is, a, I wouldn't say a little secret society, there's an inner circle of actors that actually go through different types of training. And so we started comparing right. notes. So, so Chad, tell us a little bit about your acting experience outside of Freemasonry. Just where did you get involved in acting? They're going to ask me about the history of method acting, and I can talk about that too because that's actually really oh, yeah. interesting in terms of how that developed and where that came from. Uh, for me, yeah. um, I was uh, a weird kid, and I had like I was come from a very small town in South Central Wisconsin. That you know, if you were a weird kid, there wasn't really a good place for and um, little Jack Stats, the football state of trying to recruit me for football and walking me right past the room where they were rehearsing the uh, spring play. I was looked in there and I thought, there's a lot of really nice looking girls in there and not a whole lot of guys. And when I went into that room, Sign all those up. like weird those weird things about myself that I didn't really like about myself or those weird skills that I had, it didn't seem to fit anywhere else. Sure. Fit in that room. And that kind of started it for me. Um, one of the nice things about theater is that as long as you're, you know, nice and do your job, there's usually a place for you, which is why sometimes people who don't fit in other places end up in theater. And that started me doing, um, comedy sports, which was a, an improv, um, a comedy group in uh, during high school, doing community theater. I went to Marquette University and got an undergraduate degree in theater education. I did um, professional work in around like Milwaukee, Madison, Chicago. Realized that I was uh, I liked having a roof over my head much more than I really liked being on stage and recognizing what my recognizing what my skills are. You know that what I was prepared to do. I went into education and I ran a uh, curricular theater program for years, uh, international baccalaureate, like the advanced placement, but the international version. We taught Ivy theater for, uh, it was a four year curriculum, multiple students did money shows per year. And I kind of existed blissfully on the periphery of theater um, and still do. Now that I live in Appalachian, Ohio, I still every once in a while will go and do like I'll go for a weekend and do a movie or I'll go over here and do a play or I'll go over here and direct something. But I mean, a life in theater doesn't mean one that's on Broadway. A life in theater just means one where you are, you know, actively engaging those particular skills, right? you know, in communicating and expressing yourself and um, learning to discover your world using theater as a lens. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great way to, to kind of, capture that uh, because it, it is experience uh, it is very experiential right there's there's many avenues you can take that and i think you cover that well that there's lots of ways to fit in and you don't have to be center stage broadway right there's there's many other places to um to do that and so no one of the most talented yeah. actresses i've ever met she works building muppets you know nice. she hates being on stage but man that woman can build a muppet like you wouldn't believe that's amazing and you know god bless her so, right uh, my, uh, my, my background is interesting too. So, um, I had, you know, had interest, but not, not really got involved in anything until, uh, my senior year of high school, our high school always did a huge production in their senior class play. And I, so I actually ended up being one of the leads in the senior class play. Had a good time. All was fun. 
and then decided to stick around and the a lot of the same people a lot of the same adults involved in getting the senior class play uh yes uh joe what was, what's your question there question mr ruark what yes. was the senior oh. class play yeah that was my next question Congrats. senior class play was a production of once upon a mattress once upon a mattress That's a great show it, it's very funny the kitchen yeah. wench is the best part yes. of that show yes, so i so i played uh, prince thoughtless the drab and uh you know i was the, the prince that uh you know just kind of a doormat and uh, you know the the the, the princess who slept slept on the pee she was very outspoken and, and had a good character conflict with with uh, my mother the queen so enough of that then uh, I decided so, to begin... oh <laughs> so I have embraced my inner thespian as well nice uh, I was in the Albemarle Children's Theater production of Bye Bye Birdie I was gonna ask when I was good. 13 yes. nice um, I played uh, Harvey Johnson's father in a couple other ensemble parts nice. uh, because I had to miss a couple of the um, couple of the performances due to having to to go out of town with my parents. But uh, if you've never seen Bye Bye Birdie and you're a Mason, there's a very interesting scene in the middle of that that, you know that may too. or may not involve a bunch of fezes. I now they never come that. out I did that show when I was in high school. That was the first time I ever like made any kind of connection. I don't think they mention them by name, do they? The they, they do not. The fez they people. allude to interesting. Our, they, it's a bunch night. of men drunkenly fawning over a pretty woman wearing fezes and hmm. the rest is up to your Sounds imagination familiar. joe rj do you have I, any experience i, I do yeah i, I did um yeah i did my most prolific performance was um i was joseph and i could remember my martinez name. Uh, i was joseph in the living nativity uh, in first grade. Yes. No speaking parts. Um, very stoic. And I did a really good cars would drive by and check me out. I thought you were like mule number two. Absolutely. You're mule number two. <laughs> you're, you're, he was the back half of mule number two. <laughs> you're, the, you're the number two out of mule number two. We're keeping uh, this a G-rated show, right? Robert. Okay. How about you? Any, yes, any because we had to ban stuff? someone in chat last week after yes. they donated to us. <laughs> oh, we did. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so every every day I play a character called Robert Johnson. The masks mm-hmm. we wear. And I don't and I don't necessarily you know, like what I project out here, That's this is all my method acting right here. I'm giving it all to you. I don't know. What am I like in real life? Oh, my God. Uh, I walk around in sweatpants. or I, I, Oh, my God. Who wore it best? You uh, I don't really have no want to know. Experience. Zero acting experience. Aside from the the different uh, things I would, would tell my mom, and you know, when I was getting in trouble. Oh, I would make up stories. That's the extent of my acting. But wait, there's more. Uh, so I, I just want to elaborate too. That that was the beginning of some some acting experience that I had. I did some community theater as well. 
Um, but as an elective in college, I actually had the, the distinct pleasure of taking uh, an acting and directing workshop uh, that was taught by none other than John Astin, like Gomez Adams from the mm-hmm. you know, 60s Adams family, uh, also you know, Sean Astin's you know, um, adopted father. So um, that was really cool because like, we got to hear stories from you know, the, the 60s and 70s and how, how wild they were and all that good stuff. And I learned so so much about like real method acting, um, and it was it was amazing because very much like the hero's journey, uh, he he broke us down and like completely dismantled whatever preconceptions we had about acting to build us back up through a whole bunch of um, you know um, activities and experiment and that kind of stuff uh, where we really got to learn what method acting is. So Chad, what's method acting? Why don't you talk about that? See, and this is where. This is where this is like two days of lecture to my former students. So I'm going to try to condense this down to about 12 seconds. Nice. So give me 30. Um, it comes down to when you, th- it comes down to the social perception of what good acting is. And prior to about um, 1860s, 1870s, the definition of a good actor is somebody who could be seen and somebody who could be heard because that was the limitation of the technology at the time. And if you look at the theater of Shakespeare, if you look at the morality plays, they're very declamatory. The person they're just like standing there. Nobody ever really builds anything for theater. Theater steals from pretty much everybody else. And so we have this guy, the fruit dude, right? Sigmund Freud starts looking at psychoanalysis. And so as that starts being um, utilized in and around um, Europe, Constantine Stanislavski started saying, well, maybe we can start applying this to the um, to the art of theater, right? Because we can start applying it to our characters. There's a reason why they're doing these things, right? Because Freud is looking at the justification. You know, why do you bite your nails? Why do you, you know, chew cigars? Whatever. And so Stanislavski's like, well, there's got to be a reason for this. And so what he brings to theater um, is this idea of justification, is this idea of um, using your own memories right. um, to use, to analyze the emotions you felt like when your dog died when you were seven and to keep bring those to the surface and use as your performance as, uh, I don't know, I mean, whatever. Henry whatever. Exactly. Right. And so where he brings that idea of psychology. So then what you see is that the definition of a good actor is somebody who can portray emotion. Right. We're not now, pretending per se. We're without now, pretending, it seems right. Yeah. The idea of the theater of realism and the technology and what happens in theater with the sets becomes much more about taking this slice of life and putting it on stage. Now, with everything in theater, what tends to happen is that it's a pendulum. Things kind of go, the idea is if a little bit of something is good, then a a little bit more must be better. And it keeps going until it gets so absurd that it swings back the other way. And so then what we see in about the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, is we get these people who have all gone through the method. We, you know, with the New York Actors Studio, all those like bad um, stereotypes about 
you know, what's my motivation yeah, right. as an actor? Like, which gets in the way of the process, gets in the way of, they're sorry about the motivation that they're not worried about acting. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of hyper-realism on stage, they're recognizing, no, there's actually more to theater. Mm-hmm. Theater needs to get back to the idea of, of from which was ritual. So it needs to be more prime, needs to engage more of those, needs to be much more of a sensual activity. Likewise, what we see is that this desire to, we get so much real life out there that in the theater, it should be hyper-realistic and almost dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so in actor preparation, we get a lot more of what kind of you were doing on Jersey Grotowski, this idea of um, really almost physically beating the bejesus out of your actors, getting thank right. you guys to like Bertolt Brecht and Antony Artaud, where it's just absurd right. to the point of mm-hmm. just, you know, crazy stuff. And um, there's a guy now named Augusto Boal who probably has the, he probably has, um, that's a whole other show. He's really kind of gone back to marrying what ritual does and what theater can do and use them both for social change. And his ideas, especially in terms of how he prepares his actors, is really interesting and has a lot of implications, I think, for what we do. But what most Americans will do is what you did and I ended up doing part of is this idea of Konstantin Stanislavski's method acting, which is we're going to do this textual analysis and we're going to identify what the motivations are of the character. Why are they saying what they're saying? Why are they doing what they're doing? Everything must be justified. Everything must be, you know. Beyond memorization, right? Beyond memorization. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Um, and then there must be a sense behind it, right? Everything you say you know, has attached to it. And um, so while you're on stage, you don't have to worry about the words. The, memorizing the words is where you start then what you're doing in your head, the work that you're doing while you're on stage is you are going through your process of playing the intentions and the memories and, you know, going through that psychological work in front of the audience to yeah. do what you're doing. So, so just to elaborate on that, right. Cause you talk about Stanislavski, uh, but the, these, uh, right after him, you know, he started an acting school, right. And so it became, right. it became almost like, these uh, fraternal organizations that have like they trace their lineage, right? They like we're the oh, official yeah. path because um, we trace the lineage. We can trace, and, right? Uda Hagen, um, you know, uh, there's some Adler, right. There's Sanford Meisner, right? Offshoots, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meisner, Sanford Meisner. Sanford Meisner is interesting for um, for how he. Anyway, sorry. No, because yeah, really I mean, he was the improv guy. He was all about uh, bringing improv in. Uh, to that experience. Well, Stella Adler was definitely more about how we classically look at improv. Meisner was very much about staying in the moment and staying present. His big critique about Stanislavski was you get too much in your own head. Yes. Which get, is get a very valid, valid, right. valid critique. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so, it's so yeah, the... I, I came through the Meisner chain because Meisner then trained Uta Hagen who trained John Astin yep. 
who trained me. So I think that's kind of cool to, tra- to trace that, that little lineage there. It is. And people are very, people are very much into their lineage. People are yeah. very much into particular schools, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, schools of acting and, you know, came to America. Right. And now, um, now most actors will tell you that the role you have kind of determines your process. And so you end up being conversant in, you know, Stanislavski's, you know, there's certain parts you just have to live. You know, like if you're doing the play assassins and you're playing Sam Bick, like that's just a part you just have to live. You, yeah. There can be so, no artifice behind it. You just have to, you know, and then there's some parts that you're know, like, you know, that you're playing, the third elf from the left in you know a Christmas pageant, you don't really have to you do that big of a deep dive That's... in playing the third elf. So, so then, yeah. why do method actors get such a bad rap, right? Why is this? Why does Robert Johnson like to to poo all over method actors? Zing, zing. He's not wrong. I got to go with that off the bat. He's not wrong. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, because anything taken to an extreme is just obnoxious. Anything at some point, mm-hmm. and. The big dig about the method actors is that they are so into their process. They're so into themselves that um, they're, they're allowed to be selfish and they're allowed to do some fairly ridiculous and awful things. And they justify it by being in character. They justify it being, um, this is just my process and I can't break character. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis right. demanding to be carried on set during my left foot. Uh, Jim Carrey demanding to be um, uh, addressed yeah. only as, uh, you know. That, yeah, his character. I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared Leto, honestly, is one who drives Andy me Kaufman. the most nuts right now. Andy Kaufman, thank you. I'm thinking like Leica, like no, Leica's his character from Taxi. Um, but... Jared Leto with Suicide Squad and even Morbius to an extent. I mean, people can do some amazing things. Um, I mean, even like De Niro with um, Raging Bull and Al Pacino, but there's a really famous story that probably illustrates this more than anything else. Um, Dustin Hoffman had come through that New York system of, of acting, was really like wanting to live his role and make sure he was not inauthentic in any way, shape or form. And so there's a movie called Marathon Man, which is honestly ridiculously disturbing if you ever watch it. Is it secret? Is it safe? If you it just will haunt your dreams the rest of your life, the, those words. Um, Laurence Olivier plays a Nazi dentist and um, uh, Dustin Hoffman has to play this guy who's on the run from him. And um, to his character supposed to have been on the run all night. And so Dustin Hoffman spent the night like sleeping in dumpsters. He was awake for like 36 hours straight and showed up to set, like smelling like garbage, looking like garbage, just looking bedraggled because he'd really lived that role. And so Lawrence Olivia looks at him and says, Oh my dear boy, why don't you try acting? Ha! Huh. He took it to the extreme, right? Yeah. So, and it can happen. And, and, we see it in ritual all the time. We see it where if we think about it, it would mean to be a good ritualist. What does it mean to be a performer of your ritual? You know, in some places it is being seen and being heard. In some places, I mean, we think of no conveying the emotion or conveying the message. 
Um, you know, and so how we prepare our our officers or whoever is, you know, conferring our degrees, you know, that there are a lot of discussions we have to have. There's a lot of planning we need to do to be able to craft the experience that we want for our lodge, for our brethren, for the guys on the sidelines. And, you know, a lot of those things can come from theater, from active preparation and how we how we prepare a show. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, and that's the tie-in there, right? That's that's why we've, we've we've led with this whole, you know, thespian background. But then, okay, so what? What does it have to do with, with Freemasonry? We talk about the degree system, but it's also the performative art of just knowing your lines, knowing your ritual, you know, having command presence, stage presence, whatever you want to call it, right? It, it all ties into the Masonic experience. And you, we well, all know a... examples of where it's done well and done bad. Jason? Well, it's, it's a conveyance of the mysteries of the order to another person. And you can, you know, when you think about the words, it's, you know, the words are one part of that conveyance. And I think in a lot of lodges today, that's the part of the conveyance that is overemphasized to the point where, you know, to the detriment of the other parts of that conveyance, which is really where the thespianism comes in. And so you can right. say a lot of pretty words, but if the candidate doesn't feel it, then, you know, they're, they're lost on most of that experience. Go ahead, Robert, because I got like eight things I want to say here. And I, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that's really kind of bothersome, and I apologize, my, my connection's probably a little laggy. So I just wanted to say that um, with regard to the ritual as a performance, we don't see it often. Um, and I, I think I think there is likely an explanation that goes back to uh, the stand and deliver method uh, that that's something that kind of happened after the the conservator movement, when ritual was trying to be uh, manipulated, if you will, and so I think they said, no, you can't do any of this stuff, uh, and for whatever reason, nobody decided that uh, it would be a good idea to continue to even wave your arms while you were acting out a lecture or something along those lines. And uh, I think it makes for piss poor or, or ritual, to be honest with you. I see no benefit in the stand and deliver approach when you're just a board mouthing words and and when grand lodges start you know tossing around the idea of how to do a lecture and throwing things on video uh maybe in order to train people the, the idea here that is kind of lost on me and maybe others is like yeah. i don't understand how you can sit here and like train somebody to just and then you know it's all over there has to be well, an well, element, in, as jason was that's saying that's not in with what to convey how it. it was done i i can't speak for any other jurisdiction and i shouldn't but you know ohio great knowledge of ohio was established in 18 we had we had our proficiencies we required proficiency in like 1842 we didn't have a standardized ritual until about 1891 and brethren couldn't actually buy a personal copy of their ritual until 2005. So memorization was about, you know, just getting that stuff into your head. Right. And when was this written? 
pre-Stanislavski when it was a good actor is somebody who can just stand there and deliver the lines. In Ohio, we are lucky in that Grand Lodge has pretty much said that where the ritual is silent, the brethren can interpret because they understand that that's what lodges have had to do since time immemorial. And right, you and I have friends who are in jurisdictions where they say where the ritual is silent, the brethren have to be as well. And that's, to me, that's a shame. Joe? Yeah, let me so let me let me hit that from another angle, and, and I'm glad we started to dovetail this into the performance of ritual. Um, I think that for me, acting and and delivering ritual are kind of separate, right? Because you know, one is one is telling a story, and and back to Jason's point, the other is your at least it's it's designed to walk a person through a certain journey. Right. And it's supposed to be interactive. Um, it's supposed to be memorable. And and I, I guess the best word is emotive. Right. Like you see when we're talking about that stand and deliver thing, it's you got someone up in the east. It sounds like a drone. And, you know, they just rattle out a whole bunch of words that they that they've memorized over time. Right. And I'm not going to poo poo memorization because, you know, I live in a mouth to ear state, right? Like we don't have ritual books in Virginia. Um, we memorize everything mouth to ear, but that doesn't automatically say that it has to be emotionless, right? Or it has to be conveyed in, in a very drone-like manner, right? To that point. So I think it's just, there's nothing in Freemasonry that teaches people how to deliver the ritual, right? That that ends up becoming, unfortunately, a personal preference more so than than anything else, right? And, and the last point I'll say about that is before um, I shut up and let Chad talk, is it, it, it's something that, to your point, you have to figure out, I, I you know, as that as that tight knit group of, of lodge members, right? Because I've I've walked into lodges where the ritual is absolutely god awful, right? It's people just droning on, and I feel so bad for the candidate after I've walked out. And then you go into other lodges where you're sitting on the sidelines and you're like, holy crap, I was moved by this, you know? And I, you know, I felt something when the person was delivering a lecture or walking a candidate through something. It's it's absolutely stirring. So, but there's I don't think there's anything in in the craft that teaches us for this. No, and this is where, this is sort of my personal crusade. And I think Robert has heard me say this on far too many occasions. I think we ask a lot of the wrong questions in the Freemasonry. And I think we concentrate on a lot of the wrong things. And I think that where, to me, Freemasonry is all about meaningful connections. That's our product. That's what we do. And if we start looking at Freemasonry through the lens of meaningful connections, we may not necessarily get all the answers, but we at least have different tactics and different ways of approach. And when it comes to our ritual, I think, because especially when people find out that I have a theater background, they want me to come in and say, help me make the, uh, my ritual more theatrical. And they're thinking smoke machines and saxophones and tuxedos. And, you know, if you could somehow find a way to use this, uh, I don't know, this fire pit that, you know, Brother Alasoff brought that'd be outstanding, but what if you focus on the meaningful connections? When I give the EA lecture at one of my lodges, it's with this 1866 book of Shearer prints, and I put me next to the 
the guy I'm talking to directly across. And I talk to him, not at him. We're not shoulder to shoulder staring at, you know, Big difference. a DVD. We're talking and I'm looking right at him and I'm talking to him. And I'm, yes, part of what I have to do is for the guys on the sideline because of what ritual does and who it's for. But at that moment, my intention is forging this meaningful connection with this guy right in front of me. Listen, you just went through this whole thing here. Now, we tell you what it means to be a guy here at our table. These are the rules of being here at Christmas dinner. These are the rules of being here, you know, at, at our celebration to commune with us. This is what we hold sacred. This is what we do. This is who we are. And this is what we are going to expect of you. And I'm going to be there with you every step of the way. I don't need tuxedos and saxophones and a smoke machine and brother Alasas fire pit. What I need is I need to, I need to talk to that man and focus on the connections there. Does that make sense? Beautiful. It, I, I agree. It, it does. Well, let me actually bring up a counterpoint and it's not for any other reason than just to argue with Chad. So, love it. cause I love bring it. it up. Oh. <laughs> so let, let, let's talk about the, 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 the stage aspect of it, right? I and let's go back to all lodges that we've sat in, right? I've sat in some beautifully ornate lodges, right? Beautiful carvings, you know, paintings by Ryan Flynn, all that good stuff. Um, you know, they're just super deep and amazing. And then you've seen your wood paneled lodges, right? That um, you know, that have the ambiance of your grandma's house, you know, and and everything in between. Um, I would Funeral have to say, home blue carpet. Yes. Yes. And the plastic on the couches. It's nice. But my oh. point in saying this is I do think that, you know, when you're no pun intended setting the stage for ritual, I, I think your, your, your environment is important, right? Um, you know, I, going back to your point where you're having an individual, you know, where you're having that meaningful connection with a candidate. I love how you put that. Um, I think the, the overall environment plays a part as well, right? Because I've sat in degrees and I've even delivered lectures where you got guys farting around on their phone and, you know, or people are jaw jacking in the background and, you know, you just want to take something and throw it at them, but you're still in your moment doing your ritual um, and trying to make it as memorable as possible. And I think the environment itself also plays a part in that, um, both the people and, you know, where you have things, you know, how your candles are lit and how the room is. Right. It, uh, is set up, you know, and if we're, you know, you, you've heard us say this a lot where, you know, some of us treat the lodge room like, you know, just a place to go and, and complain and get away from your wife and kids for a couple hours, or is it truly a sacred more space? A sacred, exactly. A sacred space, right? Where, you know, you're, you're basically welcoming deity to come in. I mean, does he but or she really want to in when you're, you know, you're farting around on your phone and chewing gum, you know, but here's to your point, And this is where, I think, uh, I think we need to reframe the question for the guys on the sideline. Because right now, I can't speak for every lodge, but I know in many of the lodges that I'm in, right, we don't have guys on the sideline. Why would, why would they come to a degree that they're not a part of conferring? So we need to reframe that question. Everybody, sorry, this, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this metaphor to death about our ritual being Christmas dinner right? We come together at Christmas and we do these things at these times because it is to denote this as sacred, right? We have to eat Aunt Barb's cheesecake and we got to eat Cousin Will's, you know, green beans. 
and there are rules and there are there's a structure to Christmas dinner. We lost Joe. That's fine. Um, huh. But you said green beans, dude. I know. Our ritual, yes, is for the candidate in a prescriptive manner, right? The, this, these are the rules. It's also for the guys on the sidelines. It is an opportunity for them to reconnect with each other because I want to hear the story about the night that you were raised and I want to hear the story about, like, I want to talk about Brother Alasov and where he stole that fire pit from that he dumped it off at Lodge and now we're going to put it in our ritual. Like, I want to hear that story. Um, John Ruark joked me. It's also an opportunity for the brethren on the sideline, right? We're telling this guy, he's kneeling at an altar. We're telling you, you are joining a community that transcends time, distance, and death. Oh, and by the way, there's guys, there's one guy on the sideline who's reading his ritual and mouthing along with the, the lecture. The sideline should be filled with the brethren of the lodge. They have an obligation and a duty. They have a role in the conferring of the degrees because they are they're the community this guy is joining. It's an opportunity for them to reconnect, to strengthen those meaningful connections with each other, with the lodge, with their experience when they went through the degrees. If we can get brethren to start thinking about our degrees like that, maybe they'll actually show up just to sit on the sidelines and watch somebody they don't know go through the degree because it's not about them, but it is about them. You're, I mean, you're, you're so spot on with that. I mean, I would give, I'm, I'm giving you a hug virtually right now. Um, but I think that, and, and man, I'm just Debbie Downer today with all the, the counterpoints. Right. And I'm, I so normally, and I'm like that, right. Because I'm like, yay, masonry. Um, but I just got that, that counterpoint vibe today with you, Chad. And I don't know why I, it's could me. it be, hey, yeah. no, it's not. I love you. <laughs> um, I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like all these guys on the sidelines and I'm sorry to say it. Um, and if you think differently, I don't care. Right. Um, but <laughs> I think for a lot of the guys that don't come anymore, I don't think they got that experience when they went through, Agreed. you know what I mean? And as a result, you know, the lodge today and the members today absolutely suffer for it. Right. Because there is no interpersonal connections with, the ritual and with someone going through. And you kind of said a word that just exploded in my brain, right? You like, I have this guy that I don't know and he's a stranger and he's going through the degrees. And I think that's the wrong mindset that these people have, not not you and I, because when, when we bring in someone that, or at least the ideal should be, when you bring in someone that's to, to as a candidate for the degrees, they're becoming a member of your family, right? And that's it's right. not a, it's not a, um, it's not a vapid, oh, he's my brother kind of thing. Like you're genuinely becoming a part of this person's family and vice versa. And right. this is cousin it, Marcy bringing her boyfriend to Christmas, right? Like, it's a big deal. Her, right. her fiance yeah. at Christmas. This is a big deal, right? Exactly right. And, and it should be a big deal. And I think where we suffer for that is it wasn't a big deal for so long. Um, you know, especially yeah. when we were a degree factory and, you know, when we were in our peaks of membership and stuff, you know, when you had 95 members getting raised in a day, you know, in a single lodge. And, and I think we're, we're a victim of our own success, quote unquote. Right. So. Right. And I don't know if you could call it success when there are leaders of organizations who have called the degrees the things that are supposed to be like these prolific things that change us forever have called them like the thing we have to suffer through 
in order to get to the good part of masonry. Oof. Yeah, and the thing is, we just—I totally. I mean, that came from you. a top office of the nation, and which means, and I have a theory about—I have a theory about everything, Robert. You know this. I mean, when we were doing a thousand guys a year, do we really have time to do proficiencies? Do we really have time to actually teach these guys? Mm-hmm. No, and guys can't pass on what they didn't receive, and what became the mark of a good mason was somebody who could memorize stuff because he didn't need a written ritual or you know he he knew it and could pass it on and so the focus became on memorization and not on connections or experience and if again i think if we can reframe the discussion you know and you know that's why when i do go visit a lodge if I see that grumpy past master, I start asking him about the night that he was raised or the night that he was initiated because he wants to talk about it. And I want to hear those stories. And if we stop thinking about our degrees and our proficiencies as obstacles and start looking at them as opportunities to forge meaningful connections, again, I think, I don't know if we're going to solve all of our problems, but we're at least going to be able to try something different. And we're at least going to be looking at it in a different way to better our lodges. Yeah. So let's bring it practical then, because in the last time here we have here, like, let's talk about how do we improve the Masonic experience by bringing good acting and directing kind of skill sets into the experience. And and I wanted to lead off with like, um, the, uh, let's see, uh, Right Worshipful Brother Chris Busby, who's the Grand Lecturer um, in the state is escaping me right now. New Hampshire. New Hampshire, that's it. Yes, you got a copy of that right there. Um, has a great Grand this Lecture. This is amazing, by the way. For ritual this is excellence. awesome. Yeah, and, and it's something that every he, Grand Lodge should have. Well, if he'll let me, Ohio will have it shortly. Um, here's the thing, and here's where he is absolutely right on, mm-hmm. that we need to stop thinking about our ritual as, you know, me going and say, my dear sweet Lord, learn that senior warden's part, or I'm going to, right? And I'm going to sit there with my ritual, and if you're wrong, I'm going to call you out because you said harassed as opposed to harassed and, you know, yada, yada, yada. We need to start looking at it like a director would and creating a unified experience like that it. reflects your ritual is your opportunity to create an experience that reflects and communicates the values of the lodge. And so whether that is tuxedos and saxophones or whether that is just, you know, candles and a chamber of reflection, you as officers, if you're the worship, if you're the if you're the senior warden and you're going to be the, in the east next year, take your officers, go out to dinner, have a glass of you know something, and ask them what was the moment for you? What was your aha moment as a mason? What was the moment that meant the most to you in your EA degree? And guys will bring all kinds of things up. Peter Brook in a book that I think every ritualist should read, which is called The Empty Space, um, he talks about that as a director, your job is to analyze your emotional reaction to a play and then work to create it for others. So fine, as a degree, as a as an officer team who's conferring that ritual, what are those important moments that are meaningful to you? 
what are those things we want to make sure that we pass on to our our next guy and make sure the guys on our sidelines connect with we want to make sure that we use old pappy johnson's sword you know we want to make sure that we do that because it's old pappy johnson's sword and we can talk about old pappy johnson um or we want to make sure that um the moment that I love, and I'd like to say it as often as I can, because I think it's just an absolutely amazing, simple moment. One of my lodges I belong to, when they first put the apron on a guy, they snap the strings tight, you know, and you can hear it and the guy feels it and they tie a super tight knot. And it all came about because we were sitting around as officers and talking about it. And the guy said, when I as an EA, when they first put that around my waist, it was his dad, snapped that thing tight, tied a knot. He said that for the first time I felt bound. For the first time I felt that weight of that around my waist. And I understood, oh, I'm joining something that I'm gonna be carrying with me the rest of my life. And him saying that made the rest of the lodge go, oh, that's good. Okay, when you're gonna do that, right? When, when, so having that conversation as a lodge, Understanding what are those important moments, creating a unified, for lack of a better word, performance. Okay, once you got that, now let's just do the homework and just get the thing memorized. Yeah, and like, decide. Yeah. Step, as, I mean, because nothing good can happen until the script is out of your hand. And at some point, you guys as a lodge have to decide that. Well, this is a bigger conversation. You know, if the guy messes up a word, are you going to call him out during the degree? If the guy messes up, are you going to like jump on him or are you just going to like let it go? Because how many rituals have you been to where the guy is so flustered looking for a word because he knows he has the wrong one and knows that someone's going to jump his booty, you know, when he's done that he can't even think about doing anything about connections or creating an experience because he's so worried about I'm going to mess up a word let the guy off the hook because you can't fail in a room full of your brothers who in the world can you fail in front of and that was uh was a chad lasik i think you said that to me because he's awesome he's uh is that is that his name right rj or not chad's awesome uh all praise to chad's anyway um so create that experience let your brethren work together to create an experience that reflects the values of your lodge. And if you need saxophones, saxophones and tuxedos, great. If you want to go simple, if but craft that experience and then commit to it. So that's where it starts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're really talking about, again, memorization of the ritual is, again, the first thing you should do, not the last thing you should do, right? It's, it's the beginning of now. How am I going to deliver it? And we're not talking going, you know, all uh, Hamlet on it, right? We're just saying right. that to be <laughs> or not to be, like I don't know. From if that works for your lodge, God bless you. Right. But it really, it, it should be. Do you have uh, the right tone? Do you have the right volume? Do you have the right command presence? Can you can you walk around a bit while you're while you're giving the right. lecture? So it's more conversational I like how you said talking to someone rather than at someone right these are all practical things that you can do that, that pretty much right. every jurisdiction allows mm -hmm. right and 
I belong to Grand Lodge of Wisconsin and I belong to Grand Lodge of Ohio, right? Grand Lodge of Wisconsin in their ritual is ridiculously specific about where you hold your staffs, what angle, how you turn, where you turn, when you turn, you know, whole nine yards. Ohio's not. Um, and there's, again, pluses and minuses to that. And, um, you know, Jason Laramie, if he's listening, I'm sure he'll call me and will he'll give me grief about, you know, what I'm about to say here. The thing is, you can get so worried about the technical aspects and so worried about, oh my God, am I holding the staff the right way? And, you know, how many different pass matches yelling at you because it's at a 47 degree angle as opposed to a 45 degree angle that you get taken out of the world you're trying to create. And so as a brethren, you have to kind of commit yourself to, okay, what's really important? What do we want to focus on? What do we want to really you know, yeah, and it, that reminds me of the of that reminds me of the the excuse slash joke of well, this is the the best ritual this candidate has ever heard, and and often often it's a sellout answer of well, we can be as mediocre or less as possible because he won't know any different, and yet well, let's look at it glass half full. To your point, like don't worry about the small mistakes, but focus on the experience the context of the delivery um, and, and provide that right. as the goal. Well, and here's where I think also we, we have such a problem as in ritual. And this is, um, I'm going to use an illustrative story. I went to a lodge, not going to say which one, um, where uh, they hadn't fielded a full fellow craft team during the master Mason for like 35, 40 years, but they were decided to do that per Grand Lodge edict that year. And there's a part where they search the temple, right? You know, and they say, you know, what, no designs upon the trestle board, where's, and when they did that, their full fellow craft team came up and took boomerang sized squares and they threw them at the trestle board, you know, and they bounced them off the trestle board. What, you know, where, no design on the trestle board. I was sitting near the trestle board and I felt like, I, like, like, what is this? What in the and world? so afterwards, um, I'm talking to the, the master and they said, oh yeah, that's just been our lodge tradition for like 70, 80 years. So why? What's the point of this? Well, that's our lodge tradition. That's what we do. And here's where Stanislavski is helpful. Justify the way we've always done the, it. Right. Why? And you and I both know, Jason, that half the things that people say, that's the way we've always done it, it's because somebody had an idea 30 years ago and nobody questioned it. Yep. You know, why why are they throwing boomerangs at the secretary and bouncing off the trestle board? I don't know. Someone did it 40 years ago and they thought it was funny. Or, I don't know, somebody was, the secretary was asleep and right worshipable brother, you know, McCarty had to wake him up during the degree. That and like, so as a lodge, we had that discussion. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? What are you trying to communicate? What are you trying to do with that? So, yeah, so I mean, that's an excellent, excellent break off point, too. Again, we could talk for many, many hours about, about this topic about how to you know, the various. You mean the 14 pages of notes I sent you that we didn't get to? I know, right? It's it's an hour. I show, should man. never go on podcasts, I should because uh, I write notes and then we never get to them. I love it, but it, it was 
it was experiential. It really was. It was because it was it was more improv than it was notes. So thank you for that, brother Chad. It's all about preparation. Yeah, if you get the baseline down, then you can improvise off of that. Yeah, it's it's almost like you actually practice what you preach. So I never yeah. do that. Never do that. Uh, okay, so let's go uh, over to final question. We'll start with Jason, and that is uh, your favorite aspect of the acting experience of the ritual, the, the anything of masonry. Uh, my favorite thing is that with certain few exceptions, everything that is done in the initiatic ritual is done to convey a specific thing. And so there are very few instances in the Masonic ritual where an action is taken or a set of words is spoken that isn't trying to convey through allegory a you know, divine truth or part of the peculiar system of morality that is Freemasonry. And so the fact that everything has a purpose uh, it keeps me coming back to the ritual again and again and again. And again. Very nice. Thank you, Jason. Let's head over to Joe. What's your uh, favorite part of the Masonic thespian experience? Huh. Besides the green beans and the cheesecake that Chad alluded to, I would have to say that... Um, no, I, I think that, you know, I, I do think that there's a difference between acting and, and delivering ritual. And, and Chad touched on a lot of the points of why they're different but to that point i think my the thing that i care about the most when it comes to ritual is that it has to be delivered with emotion right and and if you've been through that initiatic experience um not sitting on the sidelines not being in a room of a thousand people um you know that's that's not really the initiatic experience that's you know becoming a member of something. Um, if you've lived through that, you can pull from those emotions and those thoughts that you were thinking that day um, and put that into a, a performance. Is, you know, there really is no, no better word for that, but delivering something to a candidate um, in a really powerful way i think is is one of the greatest gifts that we can give people and i, I wish we did more of it uh, so nice done. all right robert thoughts I, I liked the the commentary in this episode it, it gave me a much clearer definition and understanding of what you know method acting is and and really the the various ways in which we all attempt to uh, give meaning to the ritual work. I think that something that's really interesting is uh, we mentioned this idea that our candidate comes in. And one of the things that happened to me when I came into Masonry was before giving me the interrogatories uh, and for those non-Masons, uh, you know, listening, a set of questions that happened before the degree uh, from the secretary to ensure that what I'm about to do is, um, 
something that I personally want to do and that nobody's paying me to, you know, join a lodge or anything. And so during this, he says, now he breaks away from the interrogatories and he says to me, Robert, now this evening you're going to take part in a ritual. And their ritual is like a play. And you're the star of the play, but you don't know any of your lines. So you're going to have somebody with you the whole time and they're going to deliver those lines for you. You know, and he kind of explained it this way. And I said, okay, great. And um, I think when I was told that, to understand it like a play, because I don't know that I would have made the difference like back then, right? I, I wouldn't have thought ritual, play, you know, all these things. I'm just thinking like, ah, oh, whatever, it's a ritual. I, I, I didn't know. And um, I think that just really helped. And I, I think that doing that helped me also understand as a candidate that this is not going to be perfect, but that these guys are going to attempt to be, you know, just prolific in their uh, delivery as to affect me on the deepest level possible. And I think my mother lodge did that very well. I think, you know, I think uh, God all the time that I had such a great lodge that did my degree work, you know, uh, that was their whole thing. They love degree work. So they really put all their into it. So I, I commend all the method actors out there in Masonic lodges. Uh, I commend every single person out there that uh, does a degree and adds some flavor to it. Uh, and that doesn't just stand there and deliver in their goofball monotone voice, right? We all know what that's like. So mm -hmm. uh, everybody out there that is an advocate for this, thank you so much. Keep on doing it. Make it normal. Uh, make it weird for your candidate who's gone through a degree at your lodge. Make it weird so that when they go to their like sister lodge in the district and they come back to your lodge and they go, yo, I watched a third degree over at, uh, Joe Bob lodge five, six. And, um, are they clandestine? <laughs> you know, Correct. like be that good, be that good. Short and sweet. All right, brother Chad, what are your, what are your final thoughts on, on the Masonic oh, experience? And I gotta be short and sweet. Not going to happen. Because <laughs> um, I got a couple of them. Uh, Please. But to Robert's point, I mean, my big sort of crusade in my brain right now is thinking about this idea of personalizing masonry. You know, that it, that, and that's what Robert's talking about. I mean, yeah, make your degree weird because there's no reason in the world that, you know, Joe Bob Lodge's EA should be exactly the same as Cheeseball Lodge's EA. It's okay if they're different because lodges provide different experiences. We're not McDonald's. Um, Peter Brook, and it was, this is one of the reasons why I like his, um, that book, The Empty Space. And this also goes to what Joe was talking about. Theater and ritual are different. They have to be. I mean, they're sisters, but they came from different places. But he has this whole section of what he calls the holy theater. And he really is talking about our ritual. And he says that ritual is this opportunity for the people conveying it to create the circumstances where something holy can happen. He calls it the happening. That basically what like 
when the time is right, when the stars align, when everything you know is clicking on all cylinders, we have the opportunity to pierce the veil and peel it back and glimpse the infinite. And you may not get there every single time, but every time you perform, you, you have that opportunity. And so as you are doing your ritual, the reason that we kind of perfect it and the reason that we do it should be that there's going to be that one time out of a hundred where we glimpse the infinite. But I got to tell you, that glimpse is one of those things that inspires you to keep on going. Is That glimpse of the infinite makes you want to demand more of yourself and those around you because you want to put yourself in a position to glimpse more of the infinite next time. There's nothing better than being good in a good show and to know that your contribution helped make it good. And when it comes to our ritual, that should be our goal is to make it as best as we can, as personal as we can, so that we can glimpse the infinite um, and help our fellow brethren and our new candidate glimpse it as well. I love that. And so thank you very much, um, Brother Chad, for coming on and and sharing that that lens with which to look through the Masonic experience. I mean, that's just, that's beautiful the way you put that at the end. And I'll add to that and just say that, um, yeah, you definitely get a, a an adrenaline rush, a high of being in a great performance, right? If you've ever been done theater or if you've just done a really good degree, you, we all know what that, that's like. We've had that experience where it's like, wow, man, everything was firing on all cylinders. We're all in the zone. Uh, the words came out great. The It was meaningful. A- and you alluded to something, and I want to double down on it too, which is that even if you're an excellent ritualist and you've given that lecture a thousand times before, give it as if it's the first time. Every time, right? Be present in that moment. Deliver it as if it you are talking directly to that one candidate and do it as if it's the very first time you're doing it. Make sure you're prepared, make sure your heart's in the right place, and everything else will follow, right? Preparation is key, right? As, as if we were just talking about. Don't come in without knowing your lines. Don't come in without knowing the intent. Hey, I'll even say, know what the words mean, right? Don't don't use these long, uh, archaic, old English terms that you don't understand what they mean. Know what they mean, so then you can internalize those and bring those forward, bring, bring that lesson forward. Uh, because really just being present and uh, delivering a once, literally, hopefully once-in-a-lifetime experience to a brother is really the most important thing that matters. Brother Chad, again, uh, we, could go, we could go for hours on this, but um, maybe we'll, we'll do a part two. It'd be great to bring you back on and learn out some more. So, it's, it's always an honor to be with you guys. So I, I always learn a lot, so thank you very much. Yeah, likewise. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow.